0: Today is Tuesday, September 27th, 2022, and in this episode, we're going to talk through several items which have caught my eye in the news as of late, and we're going to be asking the question, what should Christians make of these things altogether in relation to some recent analysis published at The Daily Wire by Dr. Michael Brown? I'm not going to read through the article by... Dr. Michael Brown or the essay or what have you, because it's for subscribers only, and you should go subscribe to The Daily Wire and check it out yourself. But I do want to talk on some of the themes in Dr. Michael Brown's analysis, because they are common themes, in my experience, among Christians, particularly growing up, raised by two parents, one of whom (laughs) was uh, raised Mennonite. The extended mullet family having grown up Mennonite decades ago, there's a lot of discussion I've been privy to over the years concerning weapons and concerning self-defense and concerning turning the other cheek and concerning pacifism and concerning whether it is ever appropriate for Christians to take up arms in the defense of themselves or defense of others. But first of all, let's start from the top with a thread of all the near calls to violence from leftists over the past few weeks. This is a amalgam of stories and clips which Joel Abbott over at NotTheB.com has put together September 26th. Uh, yesterday is when this was published, and I'm going to just play for you several of these clips, and you can check them out as you please if you want to see the larger context. But for the sake of time, I'll play the clips, and then I want to talk about some real stories from the headlines uh, recently, (laughs) which give me some pause as to whether this is just theory, whether some might be making too much of this, uh, lest you think this is all in the abstract. But first of all, Here are some clips from our mainstream media outlets here in the U.S. Take a listen.
1: This election is a very important election, not just for Democrats, but also for Republicans, also for independents and anyone who cares about the United States of America. There is a MAGA Republican agenda that gives no consideration to the rule of law that has no respect for a woman's right to choose, that wants to defund the FBI. There is a MAGA Republican agenda that thought that it was okay to attack our nation's capital uh, uh, on January 6th. I think people will think of all of these things um, when they go to the ballot box, no matter what their party affiliation affiliation is, and, and I think that they will vote accordingly.
2: You know, I've noticed, and I think a lot of people have noticed a certain phrase that you have been using since the very first answer, and that's MAGA Republicans or MAGA Republican agenda. It is a tough line uh, take a, being taken by the president and by you here right now against Republicans writ large. My question is, will the president and will folks in the administration in the between now and now? and the November 8th elections keep hammering away at that, at that phrase, at that imagery.
1: Well, I think it will be important for all of us who care about the United States of America to call out what we see. And what we see, again, with this MAGA Republican agenda is an effort to disrupt our democracy. So whether it be through November and beyond November, I think it will always be important to call out any effort there is to destroy, essentially destroy the United States of America. President Biden has been very clear He wants to work in a bipartisan effort. He has worked in a bipartisan effort. He's been able to get things done on behalf of our country. But when you have a MAGA Republican agenda that has no respect for the Constitution, that has no respect for free and fair elections, then it is important for all of us, not just the president, not just me, for all of us to call it out for what it is.
3: I think that's such a crucial point. His followers Republican mainstream establishment Republicans are echoing these calls for violence all but threatening it what was your take
2: well, first of all, uh, I have my uh, red LED lighting since the Republicans are so, oh, my God, upset because uh, President Joe Biden, uh, they claim oh, he looked like uh, he was in Russia. Pastor Charles Jenkins has uh, an intro to his song War, uh, where he says when the enemy is coming at you, you can't fall down, you can't break down. This means war. That is where we are. We are at war with these people. These folks are evil. They have allowed evil into their house. But Donald Trump, he has now dominated the party. This evil is spreading. And when you are in a war footing, you have to respond accordingly. It's about time President Joe Biden decide to get tough. It's about time his advisors stop being weak and stop being impotent and not fighting back. What these people want to do to this country is destroy democracy. They want to rig elections. And so it requires you to stand strong. You don't walk comments back. You don't wilt under the pressure. Republicans and conservatives, they are weak. All they do is whine and complain, oh my God, they called us semi fascists They have called Democrats uh, Marxists. They have called them communists. They have called them socialists. They have called them pedophiles. And all of a sudden, now, You get hit, and now you start whining? Well, guess what, Democrats? Guess what, Biden? Guess what, Jamie Harrison, Schumer, Pelosi, and everyone else? You keep hitting. You keep pounding because this is about the future of our children. I've got 13 nieces and nephews, and I'd be damned if I'm going to leave a country for them run by these crazed, deranged folks who want to impart evil in every facet of our society.
3: So if we're going to actually move forward as a nation, we're going to have to have a real honest assessment of how the entire nation and all political parties are accountable to making sure we put we the people first. You know, that's an interesting point. Say more when, because obviously Republicans, I think are the biggest threat to democracy. We don't separate right-wing extremists and Republican Party anymore. I was struck though, just now you said there are...
2: The Democrats aren't right on everything. And I'm willing to sit down and have conversations about how we can out of this age of stupidity and into an age of reconciliation and reform? How do we fix all of these broken systems? Some of those answers will come from Republicans, It's not not the extremists that we're dealing with every single day. We've got to kill and confront that movement. Um, But, you know, working with normal mainstream Republicans, I think that's going to be really, really important because we have to reform uh, these systems. And I will tell them, too, like, We got to get the government out of our business. I'm all in on that. You see the Dobbs decision.
4: When I hear my colleagues talking about how, you know, it should be states' rights or uh, government should not be telling us what to do, the word hypocrites—it doesn't even go far enough to call them out on what they're doing. This is an outright attack on women in this country. That is how I see it. That is how more and more women. And those who support our right to make decisions about our own bodies. That is how we see it. And why? (laughs) Because that's what's happening. Madam President, I yield the floor. But clearly, you know, this is a um, literally call to arms in our country. Yield the floor.
3: 43% of Americans out there who believe a civil war is either very or somewhat likely to happen in the next decade. That is according to a poll by YouGov and The Economist. The survey also found that those who self-identify as quote, strong Republicans, were most likely to believe this. You have also got these elected Republican officials like Marjorie Taylor Greene's calling for a national divorce, thousands of people stormed the Capitol, let's not forget January 6th. What clues does history give us on how to change course here? Well,
5: the first clue, Simone, I think you you would agree with me on this, and that is that when in history have we had an ex-president essentially saying that if I get uh, uh, indicted, uh, there will be violence in the streets, or having his allies like Lindsey Graham say that? He certainly has sent that message to the attorney general. We have never had anything like that. Certainly, there was a specter of violence uh, throughout American history for many Americans, And in uh, 1860, a national civil war between the Confederates and the Northerners, but you didn't have an ex-president or a president calling for it. Same thing in the 1930s. There were fascist leaders like Father Coughlin, the radio priest, and others, Gerald L.K. Smith, vicious racists in the South who were calling for uh, fascist regimes, authoritarian government, they would be even more white supremacist than mm-hmm. American government was in, in the 1930s. And it was very white supremacist. But you didn't have Franklin Roosevelt, the president, or his predecessor calling for it. This is the first time in American history that we have someone who used to be president of the United States, mm-hmm. although I guess in his warped mind, Trump thinks he still is president right. of the United States. He doesn't
3: believe he lost the election.
5: No, down in his throne room in New Jersey or or wherever he is. But the point is that this is someone who held that office, who is basically saying to Americans, there should be civil war. There should be violence in case I get indicted. Uh, Nothing like that ever in American history.
3: Delusional theories, the belief that the election was stolen, the, the great replacement conspiracy theory, the Capitol riots being a false flag, etc. etc These are delusional. Right.
5: But millions, John Kennedy Jr. is coming back.
3: Yes. Yes. Exa- I mean, Tupac is somewhere in Cuba, but that's another story. Right. Right. Millions of people, though, they believe this. So has there ever been a mass movement to undo the effects of disinformation and conspiracy theories among an entire Society, and if there was, I couldn't. I couldn't find one. So, if if you know something, okay. do tell us. So, so if there no, is, no, you are what absolutely
5: right. No, I defer mm-hmm. to you. That's exactly right. And this is why it could be more dangerous than 1860 or the 1930s. In 1860, for instance, when Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated president, uh, March of 1861, there were Confederate gangs running around, even in the area in front of his platform who were threatening to kill him, who were threatening the government of the United States. But what they did not have is what these groups now have in 2022, and that is social media. So in 1861, they were sort of dispersed, but they couldn't uh, conspire together and decide how to attack the Capitol as they did on the 6th of January on social media. And the other thing is that if they had a conspiracy theory like Tupac or or JFK Jr. or anything like that, it would be some guy with passing out handbills on the corner. Nowadays, that same person has access to a billion people or more on the internet. It is much more dangerous than it has ever been.
3: What's going through your mind today,
4: 21 years later? Well, Dan, every uh, time we approach September I do think about everything that I saw, all the people that I met, the families of those who lost loved ones. So it is indelibly um, part of my uh, memories. And I feel grateful that um, we were able to come together as a country at that really terrible time. We put aside differences. I wish we could find ways of doing that again. We rebuilt New York. Uh, We have done our best to take care of the families that lost so much on that terrible day. And we have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So, I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country and the world's history.
0: And you get the picture. I think that's enough. That's that's enough. So here we have not just uh, actually, like I said, on the front end, pundits, commentators on MSNBC and CNN, talking about Republicans being a violent danger, a violent threat to democracy, wanting to destroy the country, being extremists, being potentially, potentially terrorists. We have former and current Democrat elected officials who are saying the same thing. We have advisors to this White House, the Biden administration, saying, the president has been very clear. We need to call out this existential threat to America in the form of so-called MAGA Republicans. Now, we can work with moderate Republicans, but these MAGA Republicans, we're going to try and portray as extremists. And if we have nothing else to go on, we're going to point back to January 6th again and again and again. Enough has been said on that. But just to reiterate for the purposes of this episode, January 6th, not good, not a good look, but also a setup. It was definitely a setup. And there were no calls for violence from the president. He said, make your voices heard. He said to be peaceful. And we also know that Antifa and BLM and uh, we have good reason to believe the FBI as well had infiltrated the crowd and They were trying to herd the crowd into this kind of an optic to become violent, to destroy property, to attack the Capitol building. There are a lot of folks, a lot of folks in America who believe that protesters on January 6th were allowed into the Capitol building. They were let in. The doors were propped open by Capitol police and they were let in they were ushered in and then once they got in what did they do they walked around surprised that they had been allowed in yes maybe they disrupted some things but no nobody uh, nobody was trying to overthrow the government in the video clips that I saw in the sound clips that I saw you had people there peacefully protesting you had other people there who were trying to cause trouble And make it look like this is the Republicans. These MAGA Republicans, so called, are trying to destroy the country so as to create a mandate, to create a casus belli against Republicans for this administration, for Democrats, and their desperate bid to hold on to power, to retain power, to keep America from sliding backwards, as they would see it, into a more conservative posture, into a more traditional. And consistent posture with the Constitution, with the Bill of Rights, with limited government, which has been the hallmark since 1776. But consider a couple of stories. Enough about that on the macro. Consider a couple of personal stories from the headlines this past week. There's one at theblaze.com, which caught my attention. And I've seen it picked up a couple of other places as well. But Paul Saka wrote a piece titled 84-year-old pro-life volunteer shot in Michigan after she had a heated exchange, anti-abortion group says. So you have an 84-year-old volunteer going door-to-door, which that's a dangerous thing, but that doesn't in any way, shape, or form justify or excuse her being shot in the back, allegedly by a man who wasn't even part of the heated back-and-forth. He just didn't take a liking to this woman. Showing up and passing out literature, trying to get people to vote on Proposal 3, a pro-life proposal in the state of Michigan, a yes vote, Paul Saka's article makes clear, would write a broad new right to reproductive freedom into the Michigan Constitution, invalidating a 1931 abortion ban and potentially other existing regulations. A no vote would leave abortion access up to elected officials in Lansing or judges who have so far suspended enforcement of the state's 91-year-old ban under rulings that abortion opponents are appealing to higher courts. So this is a big deal for the abortion question in the state of Michigan. And it would also be a big deal, depending on how this goes, if it were voted no and it gets kicked back to elected officials or judges, it would be a big deal if there's a no vote on this and abortion is illegal per the 1931 law in that state. But then you get this 84-year-old woman. You get a, a grandmother going door to door, feeling very passionate about this, very strongly about this, passing out literature, trying to get people to show up at the polling booths in November. And she gets shot. She gets shot. She gets into a heated exchange and you could say, ah, well, that's her fault, right? If she wouldn't have gotten into a heated exchange, well, then she wouldn't have gotten shot. That's not quite the way it works. We don't have enough information to say who started the heat. (laughs) Just the fact that she showed up and wanted to talk about it, you know, who did the shooting? Let me put it in those terms. Who did the shooting? All those clips that I played at the top, you would think this 84-year-old grandmother is the one doing the shooting. No, no. She is the one getting shot in the back and shoulder, according to the article, according to reports, she's okay. She drove herself to the hospital where she received treatment and she's all right. But nevertheless, you would think she was the one doing the shooting. She wasn't. Her violence, so-called, according to the Dems, was that she's going door to door and she's trying to get people to vote no on Proposal 3. No, we do not want abortion being codified into the Michigan constitution. No, we don't want that. Please vote now. Here's some literature. Oh, is that violent extremism now? This 84-year-old grandmother, she's now a threat to democracy? She's trying to destroy America? Really? I don't think America was destroyed from 1776 to 1931 when the murder of unborn children was illegal. I don't think America was destroyed. In fact, I think America was better in many respects than it is today, and so does she. Otherwise, she wouldn't be going door to door. Michigan wasn't destroyed in 1931 when there was a law on the books saying, you cannot murder your child. She thinks Michigan would be better than ever to go back to that law, the enforcement of that law. The people of Michigan, the elected officials of Michigan representing the people of Michigan in 1931 said no. It's not okay. Equal protection clause. No, you cannot murder an unborn child. That unborn child has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as well. What about the unborn child's rights? But what should we make of that in relation to the long line of sound bites from MSNBC and CNN? What should we make of this incident in relation to allegations, accusations against so-called MAGA Republicans that we are extremists and we're trying to destroy the country and we're in the middle of a civil war even potentially already. Another story, this one a little less obviously political, but I want to draw it out, is actually just about two years old at this point, although it's got refreshed details. Dave Urbanski writes a piece. September 26th, yesterday, for Blaze Media, theblaze.com, titled Woman, 74, says she was fired from Circle K after Boss didn't believe that crook she tried to stop was armed. Suspect pleaded guilty to weapons charge, and now she's suing. And that's definitely something you could check out, read the article, look into it a bit more. But this is an elderly Colorado woman, not quite 84, but 74 is still a ripe age She worked for 16 years for Circle K in Westminster, Colorado, and then she was fired when someone trying to come in and shoplift and steal cigarettes, wielding hunting knives, got pushed. She pushed them because they came behind the counter and were getting very aggressive with her. She got aggressive back, not to try and murder them or anything crazy like that, not to provide poor customer service. But if the guy's there to shoplift, he's not a customer. We need to distinguish (laughs) here. He's not a customer if he's not going to be paying for the merchandise. And so also, if she has reason to fear for her life at 74 and some middle-aged or younger man comes in with or without knives, just his being physically stronger and bigger and younger, she shoves him and she's the one who they demand, apologize. She's the one they fire. No. It turns out he did have weapons, and now she's suing because of wrongful termination. But again, I don't know what her politics are. I don't know how this relates, except except to the larger question of the rule of law and who it is we regard as needing to be protected, who it is we perceive as the victim, This man coming in has no right, in his pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, he has no right to come into a gas station or a convenience store brandishing hunting knives and just take whatever he wants. Democrats, in an increasing number of jurisdictions which they govern, don't believe that. And they also simultaneously don't believe that common citizens like you and I should be able to defend ourselves. So what Circle K as a corporation and what management at Circle K did in firing this woman, that is actually what Democrats coast to coast increasingly think this should play out like. You're an elderly woman and you're going door to door. You're an elderly woman just trying to do your job that you've been holding for 16 years. Somebody comes in and threatens you. You're the one in the wrong. You're the one in the wrong, always. In other news, going to the state of North Dakota, where a 41-year-old man is alleged to have murdered a Republican teenager after a heated debate over politics, Ryan Savendra at the Daily Wire published a piece September 22nd titled, Man Who Allegedly Drove Over Republican Teen, is quoted as saying, I don't want to lose my job, my life, my house, because of bond. So he's arrested after getting into a heated argument with this teenager at a party, at a block party. They get into a heated argument, and then this 41-year-old man proceeds to chase after in his vehicle, while the teenager is on foot, chase after this young man, and then run him over, murder him with his vehicle. And then he calls police there in Fargo, North Dakota, and says, I got one. I got one of these Republican extremists. I got one of these MAGA Republicans. Come pick him up. And then he goes home like he's done a good deed, like he's the hero in this situation. Well, if MSNBC and CNN and current and former Democrat officials who are speaking regularly in public, over the airwaves, online. If they're right, well, then maybe he did do a good deed. Maybe he was just serving his country. But they get into a heated debate, and this guy thinks he now has a casus belli to murder this 18-year-old boy, Kaylor Ellingson. And if the Democrats were right, if the mainstream media on CNN and MSNBC were right, You would expect this to be just the opposite. You would expect, especially in North Dakota, for this to have been a 41-year-old MAGA Republican, so-called, running down and murdering an 18-year-old Democrat. And yet it's interesting, the generation difference and who it is that is doing the violence and the fact that he's nonplussed. Oh, I've got a life. I've got a family. I've got a home. I've got a job. Those are all important to me. I shouldn't lose all of those just because I ran this kid over with my vehicle. That's not fair. Well, I suppose you're consistent. You're consistent with how the Democrats reason on abortion and just about everything else as well, particularly in this day. And yet what Democrats are trying to do is they're trying to create psychological distance between themselves and their countrymen who disagree with them politically, disagree strongly. They're trying to create psychological distance, which if you read Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman is the lead up, that's the warm up to being able to overcome psychological barriers to taking another human life. This is why consistently throughout history, when there are wars, both sides will come up with pejorative nicknames for the other, and they won't try to admit the humanity of their enemies They certainly won't try and think of all the ways in which they are alike, men, women, children, living their lives, supporting families, going about their business. No, they'll come up with pejoratives that are dehumanizing so as to make it easier and less traumatic for themselves to take the lives of their enemies. And yes, that is the way to think of it. That is the way to put it. When you listen through all those sound bites. All those sound clips that I played here at the beginning of the episode, it's unmistakable that Republicans who voted for and supported and still admire and would vote for again and still support former President Donald Trump are regarded as public enemies. And they're trying to portray us, (laughs) this is an important note, they're trying to portray us as some fringe minority. No, no. Over 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump, at least. And that number might be higher. We don't know. But at least the official tally is over 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. And what? They're all violent extremists? They're all a threat to democracy? They're all a threat to America? Really? Really? Well, I suppose, I suppose if you think that, then it's not surprising that we have a 41-year-old man in Fargo, North Dakota, running down and murdering an 18-year-old boy, young man he disagreed with or debated politics with. It's not terribly surprising that you have a gentleman, and I shouldn't say gentleman, you have some dirtbag in Michigan shooting an 84-year-old woman in the back and shoulder after a heated argument over abortion, I suppose it's not surprising that we're seeing these kinds of reactions and actions. And let me just say too, real brief, with regards to this additional line that's thrown in that back in the 1930s and the 1860s, extremists in this country, Confederates, who we supposedly are akin to now, they didn't have social media to go and radicalize young people online Like MAGA Republicans do today. And yet I look at that and I I think to myself about how every time I try to click into a tweet that's highlighted in some news item that I'm reading, it takes me to a page. Twitter shows up and I am taken to a page saying, oh, yeah, by the way, this tweet that you appealed back in March, and it is September now, by the way, this tweet. You tweeted at Chris Jolly Hale in Tennessee, with all due respect, what a retarded thing to say. Yeah, you still are going to need to do something about that. We can't let you in until you do something about that. And keep in mind, six months later, actually yesterday marked six months, six months later, I'm still suspended on Twitter. I can't even get on Twitter because I said that the line of reasoning, Chris Jolly Hale, who ran for public office in Tennessee Multiple times as a Democrat, as a supposedly pro-life Democrat, but not really. The thing I tweeted at him is so problematic because he's saying, with all due respect, Tennessee needs to remove and replace Marsha Blackburn because she had the temerity to ask, to Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, "What is a woman? Can you define what a woman is?" Oh, that's preposterous! Oh, you can't ask a Supreme Court justice nominee questions like that. That's so insulting. That has nothing to do with anything. Well, no, actually it has a lot to do with everything right now because the left is rejecting gender as an objective distinction between people. They don't even want to admit that men are men and women are women. No, no, no. That's bigoted. But if we say for all of human history, this has been known, this has been a thing. And the only societies in which this has been negotiable or confusing or offensive have been on their way out. They are crumbling and that's part of why they start talking and thinking like this. To say that, to point that out, you're a threat to democracy. You're a radical extremist. No, no. The radically extreme thing is not to say men are men, boys are boys, girls are girls, women are women. No, no. That's not the radical extremist thing to say. It's not the radical extremist thing to say I'm opposed to violence against unborn children, and they should be allowed to live. They should be protected, not murdered. That's not the radical extremist thing. The radical extremist thing is to say, we're going to mutilate boys and girls' bodies in pursuit of a radical utopian agenda. The radical extremist thing is to say, we demand the right to murder our unborn children if it's convenient. But in other news... All of this is a lead up to some analysis that Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, wrote for the Daily Wire on September. Well, actually, I don't know what day. I don't know specifically what day. There's not a, a date and time stamp for this one. But he at least published it recently, I think, because I only saw it show up in the feed at the Daily Wire recently and in my email inbox. But his. Analysis piece is titled, Did Jesus Really Tell His Disciples to Take Up Swords? And he brings the reader, and again, I'm not going to read it for you because it's behind a paywall and you should just go subscribe and check it out yourself, but he takes the reader to Luke 22:35 through 38 and is questioning the claim that some Christians are making that Jesus says to buy swords. Jesus says to buy a gun. It's biblical from this passage. Now, what is Luke twenty two thirty five through 38? What does it say? I'll read it for you. And he said to them, this being Jesus, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me and he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. What does this mean? What, what is the meaning of this passage? Now, I've talked about this recently. And by recently, I mean in this season of the podcast. I have talked about this in previous seasons of the podcast. This particular passage, for all I know, uh, Dr. Michael Brown came across one of my episodes in which I am addressing this point and this passage and he didn't much care for it and he thought, oh, that's not very good. Exegesis. I don't know. I'm not saying he's responding to me, far be it from me to think such a thing, but I will respond to him. And where he points out two possibilities, one being that the reason for buying a sword or owning a sword, if you're Jesus' disciple at this juncture, is self-defense, he says that doesn't make a lot of sense in context. Another possibility that he lists, which he finds more favorable, is this was just to check a box, so to speak, in establishing that Christ would be numbered among the transgressors. As in, the buying of the swords, the keeping of the swords is not a response to being numbered with the transgressors as it was written. The buying of the swords, the owning of the swords is actually a violation of a Roman prohibition on Jews carrying weapons. And so this actually is the fulfillment. I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me, Jesus says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So I want you to buy swords and break the law, essentially would be the second interpretation. Buy the swords because by carrying these swords, you will be lawbreakers And then the scripture will be fulfilled in me. Now, that's a possibility, but I actually take the opposite view from Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Probably not (laughs) for the last time on this podcast, but I don't think I've talked much or at all about Michael Brown. Uh, He has been featured increasingly at the Daily Wire, uh, offering analysis of this kind for mainstream evangelical type uh, topics. But even Brown concedes this passage isn't saying Christians should forego self defense or that they're not allowed to defend themselves. It's just not about that. And I would say that's fine that you think that. Uh, but it could be. It actually could be about that in part. It could be both and. I think you'll note if you've been listening to recent episodes, I've been talking a lot about. Passages of scripture that are hard to understand, Genesis 1 through 3, for instance, several key passages in the book of Ezekiel, also key passages in Song of Songs. And I've asked the question why can't some of these passages that we're saying are either literally true or else just figuratively true, symbolically true, why can't they be all of the above? Why can't it be true that what's being described is symbolically important? Spiritually significant, metaphorically useful for making God's point, and also it literally happened. It really, truly did happen, as is being described. Why can't it be both? And why can't it be true that this is a fulfillment of the Scripture, and also that the disciples are going to have a couple of swords between them as a deterrent against somebody trying to hurt them? Now, I'll give you a, a allegory, personal anecdote. My wife and I were traveling to Ohio here a few years ago for my mother-in-law's funeral. And as we were driving through Indianapolis area in the middle of the night, because the kids would sleep, you know, we have a van full of kids. They'll sleep if we drive through the night. Plus also we want to get there in good time. As we are stopping to switch off because I was getting very, very sleepy, And my wife had been napping. We pull into this parking lot next to a gas station. And here comes this gentleman walking in the night towards us. It's the middle of the night. He's walking towards us, making a beeline towards us. As I'm getting out of the driver's side, my wife's getting out of the passenger's side. And we're going to trade places. He's walking directly towards us. And I don't know who this guy is. Maybe 20s, 30s young black man, and I had an OtterBox case for my iPhone, and it just so happened to be clipped to my belt, and it just so happened to be a pretty good-sized iPhone, and it was uncomfortable from sitting so much, and now I'm standing up, and I'm going to reposition this iPhone. I wasn't at all thinking to myself, I'm reaching for a gun. I feel like there's a gun on my hip. Not at all. Farthest thing from my mind was I'm making a gesture that this guy might perceive as reaching for a gun or feeling for or putting my hand on a gun that is holstered on my hip. Farthest thing from my mind, my phone's just uncomfortable because I've been driving all night. <laughs> I see him maybe 20 paces away, do a quick double take, looking down at my hand, looking back up at me and immediately changed course. He was making a beeline for us. And again, like I said, I was very tired. And so I wasn't having the quickest of reactions. I wasn't the quickest on the uptick in the moment. All of a sudden his trajectory changes and it hits. He thought I was reaching for a gun. He thought I was potentially going to draw on him. And that made him very nervous, understandably. Now, if I were in his position, I would have been thinking, about how this might look if I'm making a beeline towards these people who just pulled into the parking lot. I would have been thinking about that and not walked towards them in the middle of the night like he was. I wouldn't have walked towards us in the first place. But then when he changes course so abruptly, I think to myself, you felt threatened, like this is not a soft target. And it doesn't matter that it was just my phone. It doesn't matter because the larger point is you were doing a calculation on whatever it was you were planning on doing, whether it was gonna be worth it if I potentially had a firearm and might use it against you. And my point in all this is to say, even just the ability to defend yourself, being a deterrent against someone thinking you're a soft target is incredibly useful sometimes in de-escalating. Now, some people think if you have a weapon, that is immediately an escalation. And so you shouldn't have weapons. You shouldn't be armed. But this goes back to our previous episode talking about the State of Theology 2022 report. Are people inherently good? A majority of Americans, even uh, even (laughs) Americans who are evangelicals, so-called self-professing, believe that man is inherently good. Yeah, we all sin a little bit, but people are basically good. Most people are basically good. If that's true... Well then, what do we make of these stories that I just highlighted for you? What do we make of the accusations that are being traded back and forth? They can't all be wrong and they can't all be right. There has to be a right and a wrong when there are mutually exclusive truth claims. Either one or the other is true or neither. Somebody's a villain here or all sides are a villain. But if that's the case, if so many people are villains either on the one side of the political spectrum or the other side of the political spectrum. And it's just folly to say, it's all one big misunderstanding, that's all. We're, We're all just not understanding one another. Man can't be inherently good. And given the fact that man is not inherently good, it's wise to conduct yourself in an appropriate way. It's wise to not have heated discussions that get out of hand if you can help it but it's also wise to have a deterrent. And yes, even potentially the ability to use deadly force to protect innocent life from direct threats, not from arguments you don't like because you got into it about politics. No, no. I mean, actual threats to your life or the life of somebody else. Some 41-year-old Fargo, North Dakota man wants to run you over with his vehicle. If you're armed, maybe all he needs to know is that you have a firearm and he decides, all right, that's enough. I need to go home and cool down and rethink my life choices. You're an 84 year old grandmother and you have the ability to defend yourself. You're a 74 year old grandmother. You have the ability to defend yourself. Maybe the other side doesn't shoot at you. That's a possibility as well. And I favor that interpretation I think that's what Luke 22:35 through 38 is getting at. I also would draw your attention briefly to Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, what does this mean with regards to our current situation? It's a little bit more involved than just some people who are claiming to be your government in and of themselves or their political party is claiming to be your government in and of itself have said, X, Y, Z, therefore you must, you must, you must, you must. Really grapple with what it is we have in the way of a form of government and ask yourself, If our form of government is not de facto, the Democrat Party wins. The progressives always win. Those who are of the left always get their way. If our government is a little bit more involved than just whatever Joe Biden's administration says is the new reality. If it's a little bit more involved than just whatever Nancy Pelosi says. Tells us in a press conference if it's a little bit more than just Dr. Fauci saying he is the science or he speaks for the science, well, then I think we do well to meditate on this a bit more deeply than just do whatever they tell you to do. We have a system of checks and balances, we have a system, we have a governmental system in which you have three branches, which are supposed to be co-equal, which are supposed to avoid situations in which all power is concentrated in the hands of one man or a few men, so that there is more safeguard on our inalienable God-given rights. But this idea that we have rights or that it Our government is responsible to safeguard those rights. Here we find in Romans the idea being presented that the governing authority is instituted by God with a responsibility. Whether or not it rises to the occasion, fulfills its responsibility, that's a secondary question. But its responsibility is to reward those who do good to punish those who do evil, if it begins to punish those who do good and to reward those who do evil, well then, we say, if you do wrong, be afraid. And in our form of government, that includes those who purport to be the government, who say, like Louis XIV, I am the state. Is our government the source of our rights, or are our rights God-given? Is what is right? I think that's more to the point because we start talking about rights and people think, oh, that's very selfish. It's very selfish to talk about rights. You're a gas station attendant or clerk. What right do you have to not have hunting knives brandished on you? Oh, you're an 84-year-old woman going door-to-door in Michigan. What right do you have to knock on people's doors and hand out brochures and pamphlets trying to raise awareness about the plight of the unborn in this country or in that state? You're an 18-year-old in Fargo, North Dakota. What right do you have to get into a heated political debate with a 41-year-old man? all of the sudden, those who are advocating for inalienable rights are somehow put on the defensive among those who are, I would say, prone to over-spiritualizing these things in the wrong direction. And yet, if we say what we're really getting at is what God says is right to do and what we have a responsibility to do, and whether we're going to be permitted to do what it is that we are responsible to do, what we are duty-bound to do, when we start putting things in those terms, whether we as men, for instance, are going to be capable of upholding the responsibility, the very sober charge given to us that the man who doesn't provide for the needs of his own household is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever, if we start putting it in those terms, and then start looking at those who seem bound and determined to interfere with our ability to provide for the needs of our own households, well then, well then, let's ask, are those rights and responsibilities from God or from our government? If they are from God, then what is the government's responsibility according to Romans 13? Not to be the intercessor source of these rights and responsibilities as an arbiter, negotiating down between us and our governing authorities, which of these will be in effect, but rather serving God in providing enforcement mechanisms and deterrence from bad actors. The way that it should work is that if some man is shooting an 84-year-old woman from inside a home or an apartment as she is walking away after a heated debate about unborn children being murdered in the state of Michigan. The way that it should work is that her doing what is right, she is rewarded. The person shooting her in the back or in the shoulder, doing what is evil, is punished by the governing authorities the governing authority does not bear the sword for nothing, Romans 13 says, which is to say that the governing authority does bear the sword for something. And if not for that kind of circumstance, well then, what kind of circumstance should the governing authority bear the sword for? If not in defense of the unborn, well then, in what circumstance? In defense of whom? You and I are certainly no more innocent than an unborn child. Certainly not on our own merit. By God's grace in Christ, we couldn't be any more innocent, but yet, in human terms, we are not more and more innocent. The longer we are here, we might cultivate virtue, but increasingly, that's a dubious challenge. And so I ask in a time. And circumstance where we have increasing lawlessness, increasing license towards violence and depravity? Should we suppose that God in Christ Jesus would be very displeased with us for having some means of defending ourselves or other innocent people from being destroyed? by those who are lawless, those who are godless. Should we suppose that God would be displeased with us as though that were a sin? I don't believe so. I don't believe for a moment that that's the case. I also don't find satisfying Dr. Michael Brown's assessment at the Daily Wire. I think there's a great deal more to it than just saying there's a symbolic or prophetic significance to this i don't think that's sufficient there can be a prophetic significance to this and also a practical benefit we should not be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good consider the old testament and the new testament altogether consider romans 13 in the new testament if you're not comfortable with going to the old testament and looking into god's people god's servants bearing swords for something when they had governmental power, look at Romans 13. The governing authority does not bear the sword for nothing. In our system, it's up for debate somehow whether law-abiding citizens should be permitted to, allowed to, protected when they defend themselves and other innocent people from violent predators. And yet, biblically, The standard is very different than what we find among the left, and this is true across the board, not just with gun rights or self-defense, but with pretty well everything. I'm at a loss for any single subject in which the left squares up with what God's word says. Now, they'll tie their calls for welfare to what God's word says, but it's not a good fit. It's not a good fit. It's a bribe, actually, as a matter of fact. And so far as if you read Alexis de Tocqueville, Democracy in America, you will see that the American public was given a solemn duty to provide accountability for governing officials. That's how our system was designed. You will realize that there is an absurdity to Christian ministers who are apparently ignorant of civic institutions in the U S saying that it's rebellion for Christian citizens in the U S to dissent or criticize in relation to their elected officials or bureaucrats, even for that matter. It's all the more ridiculous when we're talking bureaucracy instead of elected officials, but It's an absurdity to say that those who are supposed to be providing accountability and keeping those vested with power accountable and honest are being rebellious if they say, oh, no, 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 you need to be adhering to God's standard of goodness and truth. That's not rebellious. No, no, no. What's rebellious is if God has a standard and we are ignoring it and jettisoning it, in favor of short-term expedience or selfish ambition and vain conceit. That's rebellion. It's not rebellion to say, hey, wait a second, that's objectively not true. That's objectively not virtuous, godly, righteous, correct. The rebellious thing is to do the ungodly, wicked, false, duplicitous, deceitful thing. And sadly, in our day... Increasingly, the scheme extends not just to doing the initial wrong deed, but also now increasingly to saying that those citizens who try to provide accountability along the lines that Alexis de Tocqueville wrote about in 1831 in Democracy in America, those American citizens are traitors and treasonous because the state is those folks who are doing the bad deeds who are being dishonest that can't be sustained that cannot be that cannot be allowed to stand that will not work it will collapse in on itself the only question is how soon and with how much death and destruction and that's not a threat that's a fact that's a fact from surveying history that is always the way that it goes when societies get to be like ours has increasingly in the past years and decades, either there must be a reckoning or there's a collapse. And if we say, okay, well, I think it's going to be a collapse. And so I'm going to do nothing to mitigate. We guarantee that it will be a collapse. But sometimes it's not a collapse. Sometimes it is a reversal. And I say again, as the father of eight kids, I have a vested interest. I have... A deep commitment to trying to do my best from a civic duty standpoint, by God's grace. Not that that's my only sphere of responsibility, but a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I don't want to leave my children's children a dystopian hellscape, a post-apocalyptic scenario. Certainly not if I can help it, but I gotta run. That's all the time I've got for the day. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at GarrettAshleyMullet at ProtonMail.com.